0: There's a scripture that we're all familiar with. It's found in Romans 8 8 and verse 28. It says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And one of the things that that tells us is that if you are the called of God or one of the called of God, that God has a purpose for your life. And we should never forget that, that God doesn't call people. You know, it's not that he just calls them, he calls them for a purpose. And so there's a reason Uh, that you have been called and it also it it doesn't say that that everything that happens to you is going to be good a lot of people look at that and say well it's going to be just a a fabulous blessed life all things work together for good no uh, the bad things that can happen to you God can work them to your good or for your good that that you know, I can just hear someone say, though, "Well, why does why doesn't God keep the bad things from happening?" You yeah. <laughs> know. Well, I'm not sure I can answer that question. Um, you know, if nothing bad ever happened to you, I'm not sure where you would be. You, you might be sort of like the United States of America. You know, it, I mean, as far as for a long period of time, it's been sort of a quite a, a span of blessing uh i've never at least my generation i've never been as far as drafted or the draft as far as never been in a war uh so i think well, boy that's something that i could have lived my whole you know life of 51 years and there's never been a danger of that i mean sure there's been wars in other countries but it's been sort of a peaceful blessed time period where the economy, even today, I'm still amazed at the stock market that it's still turning out some decent numbers. I, I can't figure that out. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. But still, you know, it's been a long period of blessing for y- the United States of America. Well what, has it done any good as far as our morals are concerned? No, no, not at all. So. If nothing bad ever happened to you, now I'm not saying that something bad is about to happen to the United States of America, I can guarantee you that, but if nothing bad ever happened to you, where would we be, you know, concerning our morality? It just seems like the bad things are some of the things that drive us to God. Well, it was back in, I think I got this date right, 1989 or 88, that God called me. And I uh, realized that was close to tw- 25 years ago, I think, or something like that. I can't believe it's been that long. 25 years ago. You know, and I think about, okay, when I first started this calling versus today. And sometimes the question I wonder is, I, am I still in God's will today as I look back? During that 25 years, I've made some big mistakes. It's called sin. Uh <laughs> And uh, I know one of the things I'm guilty of is running out in front of God, you know, and God would probably say, David, I'm back here a couple miles. What are you doing way out there? Of course, other people are different. You know, this is my nature. Some people are always lagging behind, and God says, man, you need to get up and start catch up here. Well, I have a tendency not, not necessarily to do that, although I think I've done that also, but, but. One of the things I have a problem with is running out in front of God. The 25 years for me has been, to a large degree, just trial and error. I mean, you, know, you do things, you try things, and some things work, some things do not. It's been a learning experience. But there have been times when I've asked a question, and this is the title of this message, How Bad Can You Mess Up Your Life and Still Be in God's Will? How bad can you mess up your life and still, you know, if you're one of the called of God, how bad can you mess up your life and still be in God's will? How many mistakes can you make? How many are allowed? Does God have a number? Where he says, that's it, <laughs> you're, out. you're cut off. <laughs> you reached <laughs> 70 mistakes. <laughs> is it possible for you, the called of God, to get so far outside the will of God that you are lost. You know, you're lost. Often I've asked the question, did I blow my chance to serve God in a greater way? And I hearken back to, um, it was shortly after the ETA broke up, and I remember being in a motel, it might have been Pentecost, and Sandy, it was me and Kelly and Freddie, we were all together, and Sandy, after you know the ETA had sort of split up, I think we were celebrating a holy day, forget the location, but, but Sandy said this. He said, people are looking to you three for leadership. And he was referring to me, Kelly, and Freddie. And I thought, oh boy, what do you do about that, you know? And I remember one night, it was me and Freddie and Kelly, they were at our, our home, and they were, some, for some weird reason, they were looking to me, and they were saying, you know, what do we do? Do, we, do you want to start a church? And I was just, you know, I was brutally honest back then. It wasn't an honest answer. I said, I don't, you know, I really don't want to start a church. I I, I doubt that I had the time to do that, the ministering aspect of starting the church. I'd had some experience with, you know, like Feast and trying to, when I was in the ETA, trying to find a meeting hall and checking on stuff like that and then putting stuff together. And, you know, I, I honestly said, I don't want to start a church. And then from that point, you know, Kelly went his way and Freddie sort of stayed independent like me. But we just sort of, you know, that was, that was the decision. But I've often looked back on that and I've thought, well, did I blow my chance? You know, did I follow correctly what God's will was? Did I blow my chance to serve God in a greater way? Now, verse I want to, I guess the main verse here for this message is Romans 11 and verse 29. It's something I want you to always remember no matter what you go through, Romans 11 and verse 29. Did I let God down was one of the questions. You ever thought about that? You know, things that come your way Do you think, well, man, did I, did I blow that chance? Did I let God down? <clears throat> well, this verse says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The gifts, whatever gift God gives you and the calling, your calling, is without repentance. That's a little bit awkward. The English Standard Version says, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. I like that one. Irrevocable. God's Word says God never changes his mind when he gives gifts or when he calls someone. He never changes his mind. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that about yourself? We're all familiar with that verse, and often we have quoted, you know, for I am the Lord, I change not. You know, and we say, well, God doesn't change. And we, a lot of times we're referring to the law of God, that, you know, God doesn't give a law like the fourth commandment and then change it in the New Testament, whatever, that God doesn't change. You know, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we believe that, but but I'm asking you the question, do you believe this about yourself? The gift and calling of God is without repentance. The gift and calling of God is irrevocable. God never changes his mind when he gives gifts or when he calls someone. You know, there's a verse, I'm not really going to turn to it, but but Numbers 23 and verse 19, if you want to reference. It says, God is not a man, and that's good to know. He's, He's not like us. God's not a man that he should lie, God doesn't lie, men lie all the time, <laughs> neither is the son of man that he should repent, God never has to repent, I think that's nice, because why does he never makes a mistake, so when he, when he called you and gave you whatever gift you had, he didn't make a mistake. Uh, That he he should repent, has he said, and and shall he not do it? In other words, has God said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, many of you have, it's a fascinating device, a GPS device on your vehicle. That stands for a a global positioning system, a global positioning system. And you know, your your GPS, if you ever put in a route, and maybe you take an exit off your route, you you see a restaurant or something, you pull off that route. And that GPS, you know, that GPS, it doesn't freak out and say, man, you're lost, you're totally lost, give up. You might as well get out of your car and die. You know, just forget about it, you'll be lost forever. No, that GPS will say, recalculating, recalculating. And that thing, I don't care what you do, if you listen to it, it will get you back to your destination, whatever that may be. Well, you know, someone said this, and I like this little statement, God is at least as good as a GPS. <laughs> he's at least that good, you know. that he, If you get off course, he will get you back to your destination. He will recalculate, and he's not gonna scream at you and say, man, you messed up for life, and that's the end of that. So I wanna look at a man, who made a big mistake. And uh, again, how bad can you mess up your life, you know, and still be in God's will? We're going to look at 2 Samuel 11 and verse 1. 2 Samuel 11 and verse 1. Read a little story about David, who made some big-time mistakes, by the way. It says, And it came to pass, after the years were expired, and at the times when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servant with him and all Israel, that they should destroy the children of Ammon. Now, you know, that, but, but notice this, but notice that last part. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, normally kings went into battle. I mean, that's one of the reasons that they chose a king. The king would be fighting. And that was... But, but here's the point. David had become so successful that he could delegate all this out. And that's what he did. He could delegate armies to fight his battle. And at a time where he, when he should have been at battle, he was not. He was, you know, not only was he rich, he was just highly successful. And he could delegate this stuff out. Now, now one of those things this brings us to is a point here that I want to make. The greatest temptation you will ever face in life is success. Now, a lot of times people look at it a little bit different, you know, they say, oh, no, 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 that, that, that success is for me. You know, that's what I want. But let me repeat it, the greatest temptation you will ever face in life is success. You know, a person with a minimal, a minimal amount of commitment will seek God when the pressure is on. I mean, let's just face that. I mean, the person who just gives lip service to God will seek God when the pressure is on. A minimal amount of commitment. Failure and disaster drives us into the arms of God. Success, on the other hand, makes us feel, I can make it on my own. You want to know what it does? It makes you feel like, well, you know, I hey, I can make it on my own. I don't, I don't really need God that much. There was a statement in the book of Job right before Job' life went to hell, pretty much. <laughs> he said, I was at ease. You know, Job said, man, I'm, I'm at ease here, man. I'm at ease. But he has broken me asunder. He has also taken me by my neck and sh- shaken me into pieces, and set me up for his mark. And I'm sure when Job was at ease, I'm sure he looked at himself as, you know, he was praising God, he was thanking God, he probably thought, my relationship with God is okay. I was at ease. And all of a sudden, the hammer came down. Again, one of the greatest temptations we will ever face in life is success because we have a tendency to think, I don't, you know, I, I'm okay, I really don't need God that much. All right, let's pick up the story, 2 Samuel 11 and verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed. Now, you, always, you, you sort of want to underline that statement right there. It came to pass in an evening tide. Evening. Maybe the sun's going down, I don't know. What's, what's wrong with that picture? He's in bed. <laughs> That's what's wrong with that picture. <laughs> I mean, he was, <laughs> he was sleeping all day and probably staying up all night. Now, this was at a time when kings go to war, by the way. And he walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now, I, you know, I guess something ha- would have to be said for this woman Bathsheba. How many people take a bath outside, naked, you know, in public view. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't, but that's another story. Anyway, David saw her. <laughs> and why did he see her? Well, he was sleeping all day and getting up late in the evening, and he should have been at war, fighting battles. But, and David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came into him, and he lay with her, and she was, uh, for she was purified from her in cleanliness, cleanliness and she returned into her house, and the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, "I am with child." Bottom line, he was bored, sleeping, and all day and staying up all night. Now, if David had been fighting his battle or fighting the battle he was supposed to be been fighting, this temptation would have never occurred. I mean, think about that. If he'd have been doing what he should have been doing, this would have never happened. And that gives us a good point to go on. The reason we fall into temptation, probably the reason is because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're not uh, doing what God has called you to, to do. Is one of the reasons for falling into temptation. And as I look at this, I don't know how much R&R, rest and relaxation, God is willing to give us. I mean, I, mean, I don't know, I mean I know it's a good thing, we all, we, we're spoiled as a nation, we love you know, we like vacations, but, but you know, you think about it, God has given us, as far as R&R, He's given us the Sabbath, rest and relaxation, that's commanded. He's given us the holy day, the feast days, you know, enjoy the feasts, come together, Feast of Tabernacles, you know, really a great time. But these are commanded. But I don't know. You know, this, to me, it can almost get you into a lot of trouble. Just kick back and I'm just going to, I don't know, do nothing. Enjoy myself. Rest. Relaxation. When things are going well, we should seek God even more. The moment we achieve our dreams is the time when we are most vulnerable. Because, I mean, this is the condition that David was in. Hugely successful. After a victory, we need to be more dependent on God than ever before. When you are victorious, you know, you know I can think back when I was building a home a long time ago. I was 20 some years old, and when the house had built, it was about ready to move in. And I remember almost a feeling of pride or victory. You know, I've, I've achieved this. I built a home. And then I remember God speaking to me and saying, David, it's just a home. 200 years from now, it'll be a pile of sawdust. Um, you know, don't, don't get cocky. You know, be grateful for what you have. But don't let it go to your head. It's just a home. And uh, so after a victory, we need to be more dependent on God, not less. The moment we achieve our dream is the time we need it. We are most vulnerable. Um, all right, let's skip on down to 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's 2 Samuel 11, verse Verse 27. Now, that last little statement, the thing David did displeased the Lord, that's a classic understatement. God was ticked off. That's really what's going on. God was ticked off. <laughs> it was more than just, you know, it just displeased me. <laughs> Notice uh, 2 Samuel 12 and verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except this one ewe lamb which had been brought and nursed up and he grew up together with him and with his children and it did eat out of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in the bosom and wasn't to him as a daughter. This little animal was precious to this man. You know, we all have different animals. I have a cat and... One morning I was eating some cereal and I, I, my, and I finished my cereal, I had my bowl right there and my, my cat came up and started drinking the milk out of the bowl. Uh, we have a special relationship there, <laughs> me and the cat, you know. <laughs> but this was the, sort of the picture here. They were close, this little lamb or whatever. And there came a traveler into the rich man and he spared to take of his own flocks and of his own herds, but, but to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was coming to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, this man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to him, David, you are the man. Shocking words, I'm sure, when he heard that. You are the man. Now someone mentioned, I thought it was an excellent point, that the reason God did it this way, in other words, it sent Nathan with a parable. It was a story. I mean, we don't even know if the story was true or not. Probably just a made-up story about this little man. I mean, this man and who had his sheep or whatever. But the, one of the reasons he did it like this was so that David could, could prescribe his own judgment. David's judgment was harsh. He said, this man shall die who has done this. You know, James 2 and verse 13 says, for he shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy. Yeah, and you know, David had written about the mercies of God. He knew the mercies of God. But David showed no mercy to this man in this parable. He said, this man shall die. And in doing so, David passed sentence on himself Therefore, the child that was born died. And I don't know. I just think that's sort of revealing how we respond. Like I said, I don't think the story was, was real, but, you know, how will this person respond? I think God looks at these issues and says, how will, God, how will you respond to this issue? <clears throat> With mercy or judgment? I think we ought to be careful about that. We might be executing our own sentence on ourselves. How bad can you mess up your life and still be in God's will? You know, God never wanted David and Bathsheba to have a relationship that was totally, totally outside of God's will. And yet, they repented. They repented. And I, I looked at this and I thought, the difference, what was the difference between David and Saul? You know, they both repented. Uh, Saul, who was God's first choice, actually, for king. We sort of overlooked that one. Um, His kingdom would have been established forever, but he sinned. But what, you know, they both repented. But the difference between the two was that Saul, no sooner he said, I'm sorry, started justifying why he did what he did. And I don't know, when you repent, maybe you don't need to go any further than to say, God, I'm sorry, you know. Uh, Saul began to say, well, the people, and I feared. And he began to make excuses. And the justification really is proof that you haven't repented yet. You really have When you start making excuses, you know, David said, look, I was, from my mother's womb, I was born in an iniquity. In other words, I'm rotten, God. I'm just rotten through and through. I, what I did was wrong. But like I said, they both repented. And God blessed, after they repented, God blessed the second child, Solomon. He was the richest man ever. He had wisdom. Beyond. In fact, the Bible says that he was the richest and the wisest king that no man before him or after would be, have this kind of riches or wisdom. He blessed them. And all of this was the result of two people who had messed up big time. And yet they repented. So my question is, how bad can you mess up your life and still be in God's will? Well, you mess it up pretty bad, pretty bad. But never forget this scripture, Romans 11 and verse 29. We turned to it earlier. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable, the gifts and calling of God. God never makes a mistake. When it comes to who he calls and the gifts that God has given you, he never makes a mistake.